0: I'm glad to be able to welcome our district superintendent, Joe Winger, to bring this morning's message. Joe, if you would join me up here, please. Absolutely. That's very appropriate. I'm not sure if they're clapping because it's you or because it's not me. But, uh, but either way, we're glad that you're here. And, uh, and I want to say again in front of the congregation how much I appreciate your leadership um, and your ministry. To our district, to me as pastor, and and certainly to Beulah. Thank you for that, and uh, we're eager to hear you bring the word. If it's okay, I'll pray with you, and then we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you for Joe and his leadership. Uh, I thank you for the example that he sets for me, for the other pastors, for our Mm -hmm. churches. Lord, I pray that that anything that would be on his heart or mind that would would confuse what your spirit would say through him, uh, that would have him distracted, that by the power of the spirit now you would um, you would remove that. Father, I pray that his words today would be clear and that as, as he speaks, uh, your spirit would speak to us and guide us in the way everlasting. We love you, Father, and uh, we're listening and ready. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, it is a privilege to be with you this morning. And... Um, want to share with you from God's Word. I want to talk to you this morning about the church for God's glory. Um, we're in the process of working with churches and helping them to be revitalized, renewed. Um, we have a, and actually a, a tour of churches that God is really blessing in our district in, in really special ways, and we're going to listen to what God is doing in those churches. We call it the Thrive Tour. But my heart is that all of our churches would be recognizing that we must be in a constant process of revitalization and renewal. If we're not revitalizing, we're dying. And uh, so this whole concept of being to the glory of God, I think, is part of that. We'll come to this in just a minute, but um, many churches in America really aren't, very reflective of the great and awesome God that we serve things have uh, happened in those churches, they're witness in their communities they're they're just they don't point to this this majesty this amazing power and wisdom and love and mercy a lot of times we hear such things as you know I, I don't have much of a problem with your Jesus I just have a problem with some of his people and sometimes we can stand in the way of people getting to our Jesus by the way we are as individuals and many, and sometimes the way we are as churches. And so that's what I want to talk to you this, about this morning, not out of my thoughts, but out of God's Word today, because I think the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces us to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's profitable for teaching, for correcting, for reproving, for for instructing in righteousness, so this word that we have that's written is God's continual ongoing challenge to us. Now before I start, I pulled out the insert in my particular bulletin this morning, and some of you may have an insert like mine that starts with the first point as point number four. Now, I don't want you to think that you missed the first three points. What I basically did with this was I took the first half of a sheet and copied it and pasted it on the second half of the sheet and it just kept on numbering. So if you've got a sheet like mine, number four is number one. So um, I just noticed that and thought that was my bad. I didn't catch that. Usually I catch that. And I just wanted to point that out to you today. So let's begin reading the word of God together. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, if you will. And uh, we're going to read a prayer from the Apostle Paul for the Ephesian church. Now, um, this is going to be from the New American Standard Bible. You have your New International Version or your your Version. uh, however you access God's Word. Let's follow along together with the reading of God's Word this morning, and it is on the screen for you as well. Here's what Paul writes, and here's what he prays. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, not to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I I think that this is the answer to the stuff that we face in our world today. Church being the church. The church being the church. And this is just as relevant for the 21st century as it was for the first century in a very pagan culture where they they were struggling with uh, all kinds of challenges, uh, political and otherwise, And I think that this is what was on Paul's heart for the church, and this is what's on my heart for the church as well. In your notes, I put this. Um, Stephen Covey wrote a book. It's almost 30 years ago now. It's hard to believe that this book is that old. The book was entitled Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And Covey in that book says the second habit of a highly effective person is to begin with the end in mind. And so that's what we want to do this morning we want to start at the end and so we start at the end of chapter three we start at the end of the first section of this book and really this becomes the end to which the church exists and here's what it is now to him verse 21 be glory in the church to him be glory in the church covey wrote this When we start with the end in mind, we start with a clear understanding of our destination. When we do that, each part of our behavior, today's behavior, tomorrow's behavior, next week's behavior, next month's behavior, can be examined in the context of the whole, what really matters most. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but you can find that your life can very easily be distracted. We kind of get into the flow of our week and we can just be going along, living our lives and and we can kind of take things as they come and so it is in the life of the church as well. We can just kind of get into this, this motion and we kind of go back to our default mode if we're not careful. And this is the recalibration. What are we about? What are we for? We are for the purpose of bringing glory To God in this world. That people, by looking at us, might come to know how amazing and how awesome and how excellent and how glorious and how majestic and how beautiful and how precious our God is. Now I'll tell you this. A lot of folks in the world don't think of God that way. All they use him for is like an exclamation point or a comma in their conversation. And when they talk about God, they they don't have a lot of good things to say about him. But the goal is that Christ, that God might be glorified in the church. I think this is the the point of all of our discipleship. We can talk a lot about discipleship. And discipleship isn't just about helping us to be better people. It's not just about helping someone from no faith to faith to growing faith to mature faith to reproductive faith so that we can be better people. Now that happens, but it's all about bringing glory to God. It's all about Him being made much of in our lives And in our corporate lives, that he will be made much of in the world. That's how the Apostle Paul actually begins this book you go back to chapter 1, he's got these great chapters, chapters 1, two, one and 2, basically. Chapter 3 is like a kind of a, a major parenthetical digression, but chapters 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul is just talking about the amazing wonders of these Gentile believers in, in Ephesus being included in God's amazing plan. And here's how he starts off in, Genesis, or in Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're blessed, God, for his blessings with which he's blessed us, and we have all the blessings we need. We're blessed. And then he goes on to talk about what those blessings are. For instance, um, you'll look in verses 4 and 5 where the Apostle Paul says, we've been chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight, and we're predestined to be adopted as God's children. Why? Here's what he says, in order that we might be for the praise of God's glorious grace. We're redeemed through Jesus' blood. Our sins are forgiven in accord with the riches of God's grace which he lavished on us. Again, in Jesus we were chosen having been predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in conformity with his purposes. Why? In order that we who were the first to hope in Jesus might be for the praise of his glory. Then he says, when we heard the gospel, we believed it and received it and were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, who's God's deposit to guarantee the inheritance which is ours until God has redeemed those who are His possession. Why? Why? To the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of of His glory. What God is doing in your life as individual Christians is that He might be honored by what he's doing in you. But it's not just us individually, it's also us corporately. So, the key truth that I would leave with you today is this the church is the unique institution in the world where the glory of God is on display to the surrounding community. I love what John Piper writes. He writes this Worship is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we hope to bring nations the nations into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. The white hot enjoyment of God's glory the goal of missions is the gladness of the people in the greatness of God. So we're all about God's reputation in the community. God's glory, the word for glory, isn't so much this in the New Testament as in the Old Testament. When you read the word glory in the Old Testament, it is the Hebrew word "kaboth," and it also means weight. The weightiness of God. And uh, we live for helping to advance the concept of the weightiness of God in our world. My friends, that happens to us whatever age we are. That can be our, our, our end as young people. That can be our end as retired people. We go through phases of life, don't we? Childhood teenage years, early adulthood, marriage, child rearing, children leaving the home, retirement, and then our senior years, God has a tremendous opportunity in every one of those periods of our lives to reflect his greatness in us. Come what may. God is no less glorious today than he was in previous eras in our history when great awakenings were happening. He is still glorious. And it's our privilege to live for his glory as individuals and to live for his glory as his church. Now, the Apostle Paul has come to a pivot point in this book. And it's, it's like there's a, we're on the hinge here and we're making a turn. We're making a turn from these first three chapters, which are theological in nature, talking about these great benefits of salvation, these great benefits of God's grace, these great benefits of God's mercy that He's worked out in our lives. And now we're coming to this practical part of the book, the outworking of all of this in how we live our lives in this day-to-day world and he's going to talk about church unity, he's going to talk about peace, he's going to talk about pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists and equipping the church for the work of service and how the body builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And he's going to talk about how we talk. He's going to talk about how we handle our anger. He's going to talk about how we handle our sexuality. He's going to talk about what it means to be a good husband, what it means to be a good wife, what it means to be a good parent, what it means to be a good child. He's going to talk about what it means to be a good employer, what it means to be a good employee. He's going to tell us that we're in a warfare And how we need to put on the whole armor of God. But there's this pivotal point between these these two sections of the book. And the pivotal point is prayer. Which tells me something. That if we're ever going to live to the glory of God in the world, we are going to need prayer. Because you and I alone, we alone, in and of ourselves and by ourselves... As the church of Jesus Christ will never be able to reflect the glory of God to the degree that it needs to be reflected by ourselves. We need God's help. We need God's help. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And I don't think the Apostle Paul just writes about this prayer. I think he writes to them about the prayer that he prays for them. I mean, thinking about this week, how often did the Apostle Paul pray this prayer prayer for the Ephesians and other churches? We don't know. He says, here's what I pray for you. I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. I bow my knee before the one who's the source of all family. I'm the source of... I'm the one you come to. I'm the one from whom you seek what you need. And so as we go back to our key truth, the church is the unique institution in the world where the glory of God is on display to the surrounding community. We must receive what we need from the one whose glory reflects. So the apostle Paul prays. Let me ask you just a personal question this morning. Why are we here? Why is there a missionary church? Why is there a missionary church, North Central District? Why is there a Beulah missionary church? Well, we're here to glorify God. And here's what it's going to take if we're going to do that. These are three requests that the Apostle Paul prays for these people. I don't think they're at random. I think they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I think he would say these are things that we need if we're going to live for the glory of God. It's not as if he just picks three things out of the air here. I think these things are crucial to our ongoing living to the glory of God in this world. And the first thing he prays for is this. I pray that you will be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in your inner being. I pray that you'll be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in your inner being. He's writing to Christians, people that already have the Holy Spirit. But he's praying that they'll be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit. And so, how much do we recognize our need to ask God to strengthen us with the power of the Holy Spirit that we might live to his glory. I don't think this is a one and done kind of prayer. I prayed that this morning for me as I came to do this message today. I've been at this for 40, let's see, 75 to 90, 42 years now, full-time, professional. I consider that sufficient to do the work that I'm doing this morning. I am a fool. and So this morning in my prayer time, I said, oh Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit again for this day. Strengthen me with your power. Because you see, if not, my words can land just about right there. But will they make any difference? A Beulah missionary church. That's what I want. And I am insufficient to that task by myself. Paul says, I pray that you'll be strengthened with might by the spirit in your inner man, in that innermost part of you, in your inner man, in your inner woman, in that spiritual, immaterial part of you. That place that is the seat of your thinking, that is the seat of your feeling, that is the seat of your deciding. That inner part of you, that you'll be strengthened there by the Spirit for a purpose. Notice what the purpose is. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You go, what? These are Christians. They already have Jesus in their hearts, right? If we do not have the Spirit of Christ, we don't belong to Him. So here are people that have the Spirit, and yet the Apostle Paul is praying that they'll be strengthened with might by the Spirit in their inner man so that the Spirit of God will dwell in them. What does that mean? Well, this word dwell is an interesting word. It means owner of the house. Owner of the... So that Jesus may be the owner of your heart. There's a big, des- big difference, isn't there, between being a guest and the house owner? Let's suppose you graciously invite my wife, Diana, who's, who's here with me today. She always travels with me. Suppose you graciously invite us over to your house for dinner. What a gracious invitation that would be. And so we come and we come into your living room and you say, well, just make yourself at home, Pastor Joe. I've got a few things to finish up here in the kitchen. Just make yourself at home. And so we sit down in the living room and you come in after about 30 minutes of doing some things in the kitchen and you look around, you go, what in the world? Why did you move my sofa? Well I didn't like it where it was I thought it's better over here under the window Or over there And what happened to my chair What's well, in the garage it really, it really wasn't that nice a chair to tell you the truth And my drapes I said well you know the drapes They just had to go You would say how rude Who do you think you are That you would come into my house and rearrange my furniture But here's the deal If you're the householder You can rearrange the furniture anytime your wife tells you to and if you're a wise man you will you don't have to ask anybody's permission So here's the deal can Jesus rearrange your life anytime he wants he doesn't have to ask anybody's permission and frankly here's what I've discovered about life there are some things that he rearranges in life that I don't really like. But is he Lord or not? Is he householder or not? Does he dwell or not? That's the issue. And so Paul prays for these people, I pray that you'll be strengthened with might in your inner man by the Spirit of God that Jesus may dwell in your heart through faith as you you trust him. As you trust him. Second thing he prays is this, I pray that you will be strengthened to know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge. Now, that doesn't immediately show up in even the New American Standard Bible, which is a more literal translation of the Greek. It actually says here, I pray that you may be able to comprehend. Literally is that you may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. Which surpasses knowledge. It would make sense, wouldn't it, that if the love of Christ goes beyond what we can know in and of and by ourselves, we need help to know the love of Christ. You know, Earl referenced this as he was praying his prayer this morning and as he referenced that passage of scripture from the Sermon on the Mount, this whole matter of what Christian love looks like. Christian love isn't just loving people that we love or liking people that we like or or liking people that are similar to us. Christian love stretches so far beyond that and stretches out to even loving those that would be our enemies. And I do not have the capacity for that in my flesh. And so the Apostle Paul uses all these love words that you being rooted and grounded in love, root, kind of a horticulture, a hortic, just the stabilization of the plant, but the source of the plant's nourishment and life and its hydration, the root system, that you may be, that you being rooted in love and that you being founded on love. It's a, it's a, a construction an architectural image of a foundation upon which a building set therefore it has stability that you being rooted in love and grounded in love may be able to comprehend this multidimensional vast love of christ this the, the breadth of it and the height of it and the length of it and the depth of it as, as I was preparing this message i was thinking of this great theological chorus that I learned when I was a child. Wide, wide is the ocean. High is the heaven above. Deep, deep is the deepest sea is my Savior's love. I, though so unworthy, still am a child of His care, for His word teaches me that His love reaches me. everywhere. And then Paul says, I pray that you will be able to know the unknowable love of Christ. Not just to know it with your head, not just to have some kind of a theological concept, but to know it. To know, first of all, how much you are loved by Jesus, and to know how much Jesus loves the world that we are in. We can't know the love of Jesus without Jesus' help. The problem that we have as human beings is not that we don't love every human being loves someone the problem is that our love just doesn't go far enough it's not broad enough it's not high enough it's not deep enough it doesn't it's not wide enough I can love people who love me pretty well by myself I can love people who like me very well, thank you. It's those prickly people that I have trouble with. And I know some people have trouble with me for that same reason. I can be a prickly person. It's those draining people. It's those people that can't stand what we stand for. It's those people that oppose us. Those people who would kill us. How do we love? How do we love in this current culture? It's really getting challenging, isn't it? There's never been a day in my life like we are facing today in the 21st century American culture. Kind of like, what happened to courtesy? What happened to manners? What happened to self-restraint? There are so many people out there giving us a piece of our mind that we can that they can ill afford to lose. That's the world we live in, though. So how are we going to love in a world like that? We're going to love because we are strengthened by the presence of the spirit of God within us to love like Jesus loved I love the emphasis at camp this year because it seemed again and again and again we were hearing about this that this whole matter of our Christian lives isn't a matter of just living for Christ it's Jesus living his life out of us It's not just doing what we need to do because we're asked to do it. It's the question of why do I even want to do what Jesus asked me to do. It's the want to that God wants to work on in our hearts. So the last request is is huge. If these haven't been huge enough, this this caps it all, right? That you may be, Paul says, I pray that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Just, just, Just a little something at the end here. That you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. All that God is filling all of you. Now we know we'll never be perfectly filled up with all the fullness of God. Because that's like a, trying to fill a five ounce Dixie cup with a 55 gallon drum. We don't have a capacity for being filled up. We're just too small But that we might be filled up. But you know what? This, 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 this character of God is what God wants to produce within us. That's what Christianity is all about. Christianity isn't just about a, 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 some duties that we do. It's about that to some extent. It's not just about something we believe. It's about a, a real, life-changing, life-transforming relationship with the very presence of God dwelling within me. Peter says it like this in 2 Peter 1. We become partakers of the divine nature. I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that. What does that mean? That Joe Winger, farm boy from Illinois, Lloyd Winger and Rose Winger's son, introvert, can somehow be indwelt by God. love what C.S. Lewis said, we all come into this world the son and daughter of someone. We can go out of this world sons and daughters of the living God. Filled up with all the fullness of God. That's exactly how Jesus lived his life, wasn't it? Jesus said, hey, the words that I say, they're not my words. The things that I do, they're not what I do. I just do what I see my father doing. I just say what I hear my father say. The father was present present within him God, God dwelled in him. Not the Father was present in him. God was in him. But he also spent time with his Father, listening to him. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us. And when I go out these doors in a little while, and when we go out these doors, and you go to your place, when you go to school this week, God goes to school with you. When you go to work this week, to the factory, God goes to the factory. When you go back to your family gatherings, what whatever that might be, God goes into your family with you, and into your neighborhood with you, and to the store with you, and He He's riding with you, He's riding within you. So Paul prays, I pray that you'll be strengthened with might in the inner man by. Holy Spirit, that, that Jesus may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to grasp what is the height and the depth and the length and the breadth, and that you might know the unknowable love of Christ. And I pray that you might be filled up with all the fullness of God for this, for this end, that this God who is able to do exceeding, abundantly, beyond all that we could ask or imagine— According to the power that's in work within us, that this God might be glorified in the world through his church. And I can just see all the Ephesians coming together in team huddle, putting their hands in the break as they go out to do exactly that. So time for some inventory this morning as we wrap this up. So out of, out of whose strength do you live? Yours or God's? Do you regularly ask the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to strengthen you with might in your inner man by his Spirit? It's interesting that Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And I don't think that just has to do with physical food. It's what we need for today. Have you ever had a day at the end of the day when you didn't have any idea what you'd need for that day when you got to the end of it? better to ask the Lord in the morning, Lord, give me what I'll need for this day. I don't even know what I need for this day. I know I'll need some wisdom. I know I'll need some courage. I know I'll need some strength. I know I'll need some patience. But Lord, I don't even know what I'll need by the end of the day. Will you give it to me as I need it, like your manna? Second question, who owns your heart and to what degree? Is it you or Jesus? Jesus. Who calls the shots in your life? Third question. To what degree have you been strengthened to know the unknowable love of Jesus? Can you say with the Apostle Paul, the love of Christ controls me. It has me in its grip. This is a question that I, it's probably the one for me. I was walking down the street the other day, walking down the sidewalk, walking my dog. I just asked the Lord, Lord, how loving am I really? How loving am I really? Let's be serious about this. And then the final question, to what degree are we filled up to the fullness of God? How full do you want to be? We will never have more of the fullness of God than we want. And the Apostle Paul prays this prayer because I think this prayer is a necessary prayer. I think it is a prayer that he he sees as crucial to their ongoing capacity to live out their ongoing capacity to live out their lives to his glory in this world. So I've actually written a prayer, kind of based on the Apostle Paul's prayer. I don't normally write my prayers, but this is the prayer that I wrote. Lord, give us a desire to live for your glory Stir up within us this passion to help men and women, young people and children that we come into contact with to make much of you because we make much of you. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us by your spirit and in our inner beings. We surrender ourselves again to you this morning. We surrender ourselves again to you, Jesus, to be the owner of our hearts. We give you permission to do as you will in us and with us. Father, strengthen us that we might be able to grasp the height and depth and length and breadth of Jesus' love and to know that love that is beyond human knowing. Captivate us afresh by how much Jesus loves us and how he wants to love the world through us. Fill us up to all your fullness, Father. May Jesus live out of us. Help us to feel as he feels and to see as he sees. We ask that that you, the God who's able to do exceedingly more than all we could ask or imagine might be made much of in this world in and through your Son and in and through your church, we desire that more and more and more you would be given the place that you deserve and that the knowledge of your glory would fill the earth as the waters fill the seas. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. May it be so in our lives. God bless you all.